Hi, welcome to James Miller Lifeology, where you learn to simplify and transform your spirit, mind, and body. My name is James Miller. I'm a licensed psychotherapist and a composer. Thank you so much for joining with us today. Let's get started. Did you know that on jamesmillerlifeology.com, you can enroll in the academy I created for listeners just like you? I've created courses you may take at your own pace, which will help you simplify and transform your spirit, mind, and body. Enroll in one of the classes today. I have a great show for you today. I'm going to help you see that your environment or your past does not define you. I will also be interviewing author Shenandoah Sheffalo, who shares her story in her latest book of how she overcame a painful childhood in the foster care system. psychotherapist, but many of you do not know me as a composer. My latest album, Restoration, was just released. Restoration is a continuation of the first album, Consolation. I like to think of these albums like books. Each original composition is written like a chapter in a book. And like in any story, the character goes from a sense of grief and loss, and at the end of Consolation finds hope for his future. In Restoration, he has an awakening. And in that awakening, he recognizes all the things in his life which are not healthy. And it helps him come to a place of restoration, becoming greater than he was before. You may purchase this album on iTunes or any other digital music store. The name of the album is Restoration, and my stage name is James S. Miller. The name of the piece you are currently hearing is entitled Farewell. After suffering severe burns on his legs, Glenn Cunningham was given up on by doctors who believed he would be a hopeless cripple destined to spend the rest of his life in a wheelchair. He will never be able to walk again, they said. Not a chance. The doctors examined his legs, but they had no way of looking into Glenn's heart. He didn't listen to the doctors and set out to walk again. Lying in bed, his skinny, red legs covered with scar tissue, Glenn vowed, next week, I'm going to get out of bed. I'm going to walk. And he did just that. His mother tells of how she used to push back the curtain and look out the window to watch Glenn reach up and take hold of an old plow in the yard. With a hand on each handle, he began to make his gnarled and twisted legs function. And with every step of pain, he came closer to walking. Soon he began to trot. Before long, he was running. When he started to run, he became even more determined. I always believed that I could walk, and I did. Now I'm going to run faster than anybody has ever run before. And so he did just that. He became a great miler who, in 1934, set the world's record of running the fastest mile of four minutes and six seconds. He was honored as the outstanding athlete of the century at Madison Square Garden. Your environment does not define you. I've worked with many people throughout the years. Some people really struggle with situations that they've gone through. Perhaps it's the way they were raised, or it's an external circumstance that happened when they were older, and all of a sudden their perception of themselves stops them from becoming the person that they were destined to be. It stops them from all those hopes and dreams that they once had. One of the most important things we can remember is that your situation or events that you've gone through do not define you. There are many people who have had horrible struggles in their life, but for some reason, they're able to pull themselves out of it. They're able to see beyond that situation. I know at times when we go through something that's so overwhelming, of course, we get insular. We have that moment of self-reflection, of self-pity, of thinking that we're not going to move beyond a situation. 
But the key point of anything that we go through is we have to recognize everything is going to end. Meaning what you're experiencing today does not have to be your future unless that becomes the mindset that you create for yourself. How you grew up, the environment in which you were raised is going to influence you. But remember, who you want to become is still yours to choose. It's still your right and your responsibility to become the person that you want to be. When we all of a sudden think that an event that we went through is now who we are, we've actually taken that brief snapshot, it could be a year or two for however long it is, but all of a sudden that then becomes our title. So for example, my name is James, but if I go through something that was very traumatic for me, let's say I went through a really bad divorce, a heartbreaking breakup, and all of a sudden if I am that person who is a divorced, or I'm that person who's brokenhearted, if I take on that perception or that mentality, then that's all I am. So I'm no longer James, I'm the heartbroken James, or I'm the divorced James. And when we take those situations and all of a sudden it becomes who we are, we're not able to move beyond and become that person that we're destined to be. Those hopes and dreams that we once had all of a sudden get pushed in the back of our mind because now the situation has told us that this is all we're going to be, or this is as far as we're going to go in life. Sometimes it's very difficult for children who were raised, if they all of a sudden were told that they're a certain way or they're not smart or they're not attractive or they were a mistake, all of a sudden that becomes your identity as they grow up. Perhaps that's you today. Perhaps you've gone through something that's just been so traumatic and you've been stuck there. Remember, if we camp out in that mentality, in other words, we've allowed our self-worth to be defined by someone from our past. We've allowed our self-worth to be defined by an event that we went through. But you are so much greater than that. The potential that you have inside of you, the ability to move beyond something is far greater than what you even know. Of course, it is very natural to grieve. Of course, it's very natural to become consumed with what we're going through. But if you get stuck there, you will never reach your highest potential. And my friend, there's so much in you that you haven't even explored yet. So I really want to challenge you today. If you find that you're using your past or your environment to define your future or even your present, then you're limiting yourself from becoming that person that you were destined to be. You're stopping yourself from seeing how far you could go. You have the responsibility and you have the right and you have the honor to decide who you want to be. Something you've gone through is not who you are. Your past or your environment does not have to define you. Your perception can change today. A quick example of one of the courses you'll find in the academy entitled Spirit, Mind, Body, The Perfect Triad. This non-religious course helps you understand how your intuition, or rather your gut, your logic, and your body all work together to help you overcome any obstacle you may face. Enroll in the class today. Imagine a desolate childhood with drug and alcohol addicted parents, numerous moves in the middle of the night with minutes to pack, multiple changes in school, hunger, cruelty, and loneliness. My guest today is Shenandoah Sheffalo, and this was her life. She is going to share her incredible story on my show today. Welcome to my show, Shenandoah. Thanks for having me, James. It's such a pleasure. When you had originally reached out to me to be on my show, I read some of your bio and I was overwhelmed with emotions for you and for how you grew up. What I really like to do on my show is to focus on the contrast between where a person was and who they are now. And clearly in front of me today is not that same person as before. So I would love for you to share your story with my listeners today. 
Yeah, well, today I live really a fabulous life. I'm a college graduate from Michigan State University. I live on a beautiful lake in northern Michigan uh, and have a beautiful family. I have a daughter who is successful in running her own business. I have a husband who is a dedicated criminal defense attorney, and I get to enjoy all the benefits of being an author. But you're right, my life did not start that way. And in fact, uh, prior to graduating from high school, I moved schools over 35 times in my oh, life. Wow. Yeah, from zero to 13, I grew up with a mother with substance abuse problems, mental health issues, running and escaping from the law and from boyfriends in the middle of the night. And then at the age of 13, I self-reported myself to the foster care system one, because I was going to become homeless. At that time, my mom had vanished from my life and disappeared. And I had been staying with a grandmother who was living in a senior community who was going to be asked to move if I didn't find a new residence. And so I thought foster care would be my saving grace. Turned out that that was just the uh, idealized version that a 13-year-old girl would have about what the foster care system is. Um, and it didn't work out that way. And so a lot of my younger adult you know, childhood and young adult life was spent in self-doubt and self-pity and never thinking I was good enough to accomplish much of anything. I can't imagine at 13 having to make that adult decision to put yourself in the foster care system. How did you even come up with that option? Well, there was really no, well, there was another choice. The other choice was to become homeless. Mm. Um, and I lived in a very urban area and the idea of becoming homeless in that area uh, was frightening in and of itself. I knew my ability to live on the streets for any length of time uh, would not be positive. And I really thought the foster care system would be my way to avoid that sort of life. I ended up homeless, uh, but much later when I aged out of foster care at 18, you know, the homelessness came. I just kind of was able to push it off for a few years. So tell me about your foster home. So your idea as a 13-year-old was to join a new family and start a great new life. It seems like things would be better for you from your previous life, but how was it overall for you? Yeah, well, I, I mean, my idea was is that, okay, if the state is basically becoming your parent, then these people that they picked to be substitute parents would be the best parents that they could find in their state, right? So that was my idea, that these were going to be people who were really excited about children and knew about children and wanted children. All of those things um, that I had never felt as a child, I kind of always felt like the mistake and the accident and, and had been told that numerous times. So I was really excited to experience that. And what I quickly learned is, is that you were just really tied to a paycheck for the family and that it really wasn't about being a parent at all. It was just about, you know, facilitating their own day-to-day -day lives. And, and most of the homes that I was in already had children. So having another children only added to the amount of, you know, financial gain the family was receiving. And so it wasn't really the type of family I was hoping for. When I aged out at 18, for me, that happened to be halfway through my senior year of high school, December of my senior year of high school. And so I had to negotiate ways in which to stay so I could graduate, you know, things that most 18-year-olds aren't contending with. 
It sounds like you had to grow up much more quickly than the average person, even at the age of 13. Yeah, you know, I had already prior to 13 grown up probably faster than most children and, and had learned to, you know, make my own meals and kind of survival of the fittest in my household. So, yeah, all of those things affected the way in which I perceived the world. And what happened is, is that kind of through a bunch of luck, I, I ended up at Michigan State University, but I had to take a job because although I was taking student loans to pay for books and my classes and even my dorm room, I couldn't just pay for day-to-day -day necessities like toothpaste and deodorant, all of those things that we just take for granted. And so I took a job as a receptionist at a law office making $3 an hour. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Right? Well, that was the time. Oh, and, sure. um, yeah, I guess. Yeah. And so I just started and I became good at it. And I started doing more, you know, became a legal secretary, became a legal assistant, became a paralegal, and pretty soon was a was an office administrator running fairly large law firms with lots of attorneys wow. and staff. But it was the first time I'd been with college educated people. And none of those people ever asked me about my life. I was always available to work. I never had any family commitments and they liked that. And it was really the start of me kind of trying to run from my past. I never disclosed to anyone that I had been in foster care. In fact, I hired my husband for his first job at the law firm. And until I decided to write the book, we never discussed he knew I'd been in foster care but we had never discussed the the how or why oh, wow of how I ended up it was just really this large secret I had been carrying mm. around with me well let's talk more about that how was your self-esteem when you first went into foster care well their self-esteem I don't think I even ranked on the scale mm. So there's a lot of what I've come to understand as an adult right and lots of work later is so there's grief because it is as if your parents have died. So there is this grieving. You've lost something major and significant in your life. But there's also a lot of shame. And I think those are two feelings and emotions that we don't talk about a lot in society. They're kind of taboo topics, grief and shame and, and how they work. But they're really a big part of your self-esteem and mm -hmm. how you see yourself. And I never felt good enough. Um, no matter what I was doing, it never seemed it was good enough. You know, I was never athletic enough. I was never fast enough. I was never coordinated enough. I was never smart enough. And all of that just eats away that, well, what am I good at? I must be good at nothing. Yeah. And so I lived a significant portion of my life with that mentality. I'm not good at anything. So if I can just get by in life, that should be considered a win. Is that what motivated you? Yeah. So, you know, I was doing well in my career. Mm -hmm. um, that was probably the one thing that was great. Okay. My career was doing good. I could pay my own bills. I wasn't homeless. You know, I could handle these things. And I happened to choose a career where they don't mind if you pour 80 hours a week into yeah. your job and ignore everything else in your life. And so I did that. And then I started to be more and more involved with our clients. We moved to Northern Michigan. We started our own law practice. And I just started hearing their stories, which resonated with me more and more. And then I started realizing the unruly statistics of the foster care system, how 500,000 kids are in care today in the United States. 
and the amount of those kids that will end up homeless or incarcerated exceed 80 to 90% in a lot of cases and in a lot of states. And I said, something needs to be done about this. And yeah. so that's kind of when I decided I started looking into coaching and I started to think about writing the book because I knew if I didn't share my story, then those people who were struggling would never have hoped that they could do something different. Sure. You know, it's interesting because some people bloom earlier. And for you, your your purpose and your passion came out later in life. And so your own story, the thing that you had shame about and didn't want to tell anybody, very secretive about it, all of a sudden now that is your that's your purpose. That's your passion. And it's just so interesting to see how those things come about. Well, absolutely. You know, that's if you would have asked me five years ago, do you think you would ever write this book and be telling the world the story? I would have laughed at you. Mm, yeah. <laughs> and it would have been a, a genuine, you must be crazy. You don't know me that well. I would not share the story. <laughs> laugh. Yeah. Um, so to be sitting here in this moment and knowing that that's your purpose, right? Yeah. That that you can now look back through everything and say, oh, it all led me here mm -hmm. to be this advocate in this moment. And I think that's what's powerful when you can turn something so harmful, um, so painful into something so positive and so full of love and, and heart and guidance. For me, that's the change that we need, not just for me, but in the world in general. Yeah, definitely. Well, tell me more about the foster care system. So if that was something as you were looking at the statistics and you really wanted to share a message of hope, tell me more about how that comes about. Right. So there are plenty of books on the market about the foster care system. And the one thing I kept saying is, is every time I read one of these books, I feel sad for the few hours after I finish it. And mm -hmm. I think about that person and who that is. But then what? Yeah. Like, then I'm done and I move on with my day and get my oil changed and right, take the dog to the park and now I'm on with my day. And I was looking for something a little different. So in my book, I do share my story and my journey, but I end my book talking about what the current state of the system is and some things that we can possibly do to change the foster care system. Oh, okay. And so some of these things are just things that everyday people can do people who want to get involved more. I believe that this system is affecting every single person in our nation, whether they know it or not, mm -hmm. because we know the foster care system is feeding lots of social issues. And there are probably issues that you care about, which are teen pregnancy, the welfare system, incarceration rates, homelessness, kids who are going hungry, uh, substance and mental abuse problems. All of those things are being fed by this one really poorly run system in our nation, and we can change it. We can fix it. It's just nobody's talking about yeah. it. You know, it's interesting. Years ago, I um, I was actually a foster care therapist, and so I would go to the homes of the of the, of the children in the foster home, mm -hmm. and I would work with them. And, and and I can definitely see what you're saying. Some of the families, I could see that it was pretty much more just a paycheck and weren't really involved with the client. Whereas you would see other families who were very much involved, were really excited to have that child in their home, and it was just such an interesting juxtaposition between those two things. So, as a professional, I can definitely see some of those pitfalls that you're discussing. 
Yeah. And, uh, you know, and there's little things that could change in the system and there's big things. For me, the underlying issue is, is we're just not addressing trauma. Mm-hmm. It's a yeah. real thing. It exists. It exists not only with foster kids, but it exists everywhere. Sure. Almost everybody has been through something that's been traumatic for them. Now, that scale changes from person to person. What's traumatic for one person might not be traumatic for another. Mm-hmm. But most people have experienced something that was painful, traumatic, and stressful for them. And we can address that, heal that, and change it. What seems to happen in the foster care system is we ignore it, marginalize it, and then wonder why children are acting out. And then we get focused on the behavior Mm-hmm. instead of why the behavior is happening in the first place. Sure. This idea of what's wrong with you versus what's happened to you. Exactly. And then usually when that happens, then the child's placement is lost. Right, exactly. Because, right, and you'll know this from your professional time, when a child comes into care, the only question that's asked is, where's the available bed for this child? Mm-hmm. And to me, that's a crazy standard. How come we're not spending a little bit more time trying to find a match right out of the gate? So I use the example of a 10-year-old boy all the time. So you have a 10-year-old boy who's maybe really active and enjoys sports and being physical, right? Mm-hmm. 10, he's, he wants to go roll around in the dirt and, and get dirty. Well, if the only available bed happens to be with parents who maybe enjoy the library and robotics club, those things aren't bad, and that's not saying that these are bad parents, but when you mix those two, it's not going to be a fit for the foster parents or for the child. Sure. But that looks like when he's removed from there, a negative to him, right? Yeah, as if he failed. And so then that's, he's failed, and then he goes into another placement and fails again. And then after two or three failed placements, he becomes a problem. Yeah. And then that's something that he's taking on himself to try to deal with. And that's what we see all the time because we didn't want to spend a little bit more time up front saying what would be good for this child. Mm-hmm. Where would be the best spot for this child? You know, hey, we have a soccer coach who happens to be a foster parent. That might be a better match. Let's call him even though he's second <laughs> on the list, right? Yeah. And we do this time and time again. And, you know, I laugh with people all the time. You, anytime you turn on TV, you have to see the stupid Match.com or eHarmony where you can take this quiz and find your life mate, right? But with children, we're asking them to move in with strangers, and then we're not even held to a standard to see if it's a good match for them. Sure. And it's so traumatic for many children in the first place because, like you said, they don't know these people. So to go into a home with a completely different set of rules, completely different family structure, it's it's very overwhelming for them. And, and as, as an adult here, I, I can't even imagine what that would be like being a young child having to endure that. Right. I mean, I ask adults all the time. So just think about when you go on vacation and you stay at a friend's parents' house or something, or even at your friend's house, maybe you were best friends growing up and and now they're married or something and you're going to sleep on the couch for a few days. I mean, most people are kind of on their best behavior and try to do everything they can to fit in and not disrupt that family's life. Mm-hmm. But now you have to ask a small child who's been through some sort of traumatic experience to navigate that by themselves. Yeah. You know, so we teach children, oh, never go with strangers. 
except in this instance where we're going <laughs> to ask you to move in with them. That's a really good I point. Is this very big contradiction that we don't seem to give any validity to on how that in and of itself might cause more trauma for this child. Yeah. yeah that... And why that child seeks out wanting to be back with their biological parents, even though they probably know their biological parent isn't the safest person to be with, mm -hmm. but it's comfortable. Yeah. And we kind of miss that when we're thinking about kids in care. I think that's a very good point. I specifically like the part about the, the stranger. You're absolutely right. I actually never thought about that, that we don't have them talk to strangers, but in that instance, we would. Right. Yeah. Well, not only talk to them, but please get in the van and move in with them. I mean, that's, a, you know, and then if they have any negative behavior because of that situation, then that's supposedly a reflection on them and what a bad person they are. Mm -hmm. And once again, it's a setup. It definitely is. Yeah, I mean, there's no winning, right? Yeah. Let's switch gears just for a second. Let's talk about your life coaching. Does that sure. also incorporate the foster care system as well? Yeah, it was kind of born out of that. When I started doing the research for the book, basically I'd come to a point in my career where there was nowhere for me to go mm -hmm. unless I wanted to go to law school, which I really, really did not want to do. Um, <laughs> I had no desire at that point yeah. in my career to become an attorney. And I just had that longing feeling, which probably a lot of your guests and people you talk to say, and I just didn't know what it was. And I was kind of searching for it and kind of sticking my fingers in a lot of things and ended up in a life coaching classes down in Atlanta, Georgia, having, by the way, no idea what that even meant or what that <laughs> was, kind of heard about it and was like, oh, that sounds interesting. Let me do that. And then was there and thought this could change my clients' lives. Wow. Because the people who show up in a law office, you know, we joked around and would say, you know, nobody comes to an attorney because they won the lottery. You know, everyone in the office was <laughs> something tragic and painful, Yes. you know, from getting arrested to getting divorced to going bankrupt. I mean, everything was like the worst possible thing that could happen to you. And so I was dealing in a lot of grief and shame and people in really negative space. And I thought, okay, this coaching thing could really be beneficial. Mm -hmm. And so the coaching was beneficial to those clients. But what I really saw is they needed to see somebody who had been successful, who had been through it, yeah. to know that there was a light at the other end of the tunnel. Because everyone they knew hadn't graduated from high school. When they were working their jobs for minimum wage was kind of the best paid person in their family. Mm -hmm. You know, maybe they had never been arrested and everyone in their family had. You know, they're coming from difficult spots. And so it was the coaching kind of the book, me getting ready to share the secret kind of all happened all at the same time with helping people to try to navigate taking control and healing your trauma, but then moving forward. Yes. Sounds like it was very serendipitous for you as all those things unfolded at the same time. Right. Well, I say everyone's going to deal with their trauma at some point. It's just some of us choose to face it head on and some of us let it linger a little bit longer. Yes, exactly. Now, the name of your book is Garbage Bag Suitcase. And now, if my listeners would like to find more information about that book and about you, where would they find this information online? 
Uh, you can visit my website, garbagebagsuitcase.com, and you can, of course, find the book on Amazon or ask for it at your local bookstore. I think it's so exciting that you're just now sharing this, this secret after so many years, and I love the fact that not only you're sharing it with a few people, but you're sharing it with the world, and I think it's just such an interesting <laughs> contrast from before with all that shame, and now you, you share it with such pride. Thank you so much. It's uh, It's been an honor, and it's... Uh, it's always fun to receive emails from people, you know, telling me how the book has changed the way they see the foster care system or the way they interact with other people in their community. Oh, that's wonderful, especially when you're able to hear how it's changing people as well. Yes, it's been amazing. Well, I want to thank you so much for being on my show today. I'm Unfortunately, we're out of time, but it's been such an honor to get to know you, to hear your story, and thank you once again for sharing all of your insight. Thanks so much for having me on today, James. I also want to thank you, the listener, for joining with us today. Please subscribe to this radio show through whichever portal you joined with us today. Also, please visit my website where you may enroll in Lifeology Academy, read my published articles, and watch all my YouTube episodes I created just for you. If you'd like to become a show sponsor or become a guest, please visit jamesmillerlifeology.com. Once again, thank you so much for your support, and I'll talk to you soon.